are fixated individuals targeting your principle? Welcome to The Circuit Magazine, the number one source of information on protection matters, the industry-leading magazine for all security professionals who want to stay ahead of the game. Is your principal at risk from a fixated individual? This week, we're talking to Philip Grindle, uh, CEO of Diffuse and longtime friend of the industry about what makes a greater threat to your principal today. Sean, why is this such a key topic and, and especially in this climate? I think the people that we look after, high net worth individuals, a lot of them spend time in the public eye and you know they can attract huge fan bases and interest in what they're doing, where they're going to perform, where they live, how they live, who their partners are, who they're eating out with, whatever it may be. And with some of these fans, you can attract fixated individuals who may gain an unhealthy interest in what they are doing. And it's something we need to be aware of as a security professional when you're looking after these individuals, what are the signs to spot? How do you spot them? Your, your regular security protection measures, the human, technical, but none of them are going to find a fixated person who was committed to harming their target. So yeah, it's very important to read the signals. And, and there's things out there you can you know you can sign up to signal alerts where your principal could be mentioned in the news, whatever it is on people's social media, so many times. And if someone's showing an over unhealthy interest, the more alerts you get, you know, you can categorize them and come back and they may create patterns there. So there's lots of tools you can use. And it's, yeah, it's a, it's a very interesting topic. And I look forward to hearing from Philip. Absolutely. And, you know, more than other threats, you know, people have kind of maybe focused on big, sexy type issues, whereas the very bare bones reality is you're guarding a principle and somebody may wish to do them harm. So I think I think there's a lot to unpack. And, you know, it's all well and good saying to colleagues in the EP profession, oh, go do some behavioral analysis training. Um, well, what does that mean? <laughs> what, 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 what does it actually mean? And, you know, it, what's going to be useful is that, of course, Philip, with his background in the police, uh, you know, some very high profile cases, um, which have been in the public eye, will, will, will hopefully give us these tangibles. Um, and, you know, if you're a doorman or, you know, door person, whatever, you've got those skills already, at least on a fundamental level. Someone comes up to you and says something, you need to ask questions. Um, I don't know, Sean, it does, does this come naturally to the uh, protector or, or, or do we all have a, a way to go? I think everybody handles things different and it depends on, you mentioned behavioural analysis training um there's lots of different forms of training you can get conflict management training and different providers provide different levels of training and as we said everyone has a different background you may be well versed from your I don't know, your military days or your police days you may have been hostage negotiator or whatever it is where you gain extra skills in communication um so yeah there's many skills you can learn in communicating, and as you rightfully mentioned, Dorman, yeah, they're, they're constantly scanning their venue or event, looking for people uh, who, who are there to cause harm. Um, so, yeah, I think we, we definitely have the skills, but all at different levels. And depending on which arena you're operating in is how much you're going to use them as well. That's true. And, and, and previously, you know, you mentioned the technology to get references about your principle. That certainly is a skill set. Um, perhaps the the undercover covert surveillance angle, maybe that's another skill set, watching the watchers. Um, so many things to unpack. But what our ambition is with this interview with Philip is to actually come away with some tangibles. So I'm very much looking forward to this and let's see where it goes. Yeah, for sure. I think when we miss these the signs that are given from fixated individuals, you know, it can or serious violence to, to our principles, death, or even, you know, huge embarrassment and cause reputational harm. So, yeah, no, this interview will be great. 
Fantastic. Well, let's hear from Philip Grindle, CEO of Diffuse, and find out what the fixated threat means for tomorrow's EP professional. And now, let's meet one of the contributors to The Circuit magazine. Fixated individuals and what you as an EP professional might be able to start doing about it. We're here with Philip Grindle, CEO of Diffuse. Um, John Moss and myself, we're very excited uh, to, to have you on today. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Very well. Well, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's great to have you here. And I know you've written for the magazine and spoken at events in the past. So it's lovely to bring the pages of the magazine um, to life. Fixated individuals, it's, it's a very serious topic, but let's do some quickfire questions. What is the problem uh, at this stage, as you see it, that needs to be addressed? I think people need to understand the threat that is posed by fixated people and that actually they are more likely to engage with a fixated person than they are with a terrorist or anything of that nature. Um, and they need to, it's going to recognize that it, it is a greater threat than all the other things. I see. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I know you've been speaking about this for a long time. And of course, you, you, you've got a previous career. Um, but where does your enthusiasm or, or passion to solving this problem uh, come from? Well, I spent, you know, much like I'm, I'm sure many of your listeners, I spent most of my professional career protecting other people in one format or another. And, um, you know, I'm sure, again, you know, like many of your listeners, my passion, my purpose is around making a difference. Um, and many of the environments I've worked in, whether they've been uh, homicide investigations, whether they've been domestic uh, violence, whether they've been child abuse, etc. One of the common denominators is, is the impact of being targeted by someone who is fixated on you. And when you're talking about stalkers, when you're talking about high profile people, you know, it's a recurring theme. And when I then, as you, as you alluded to, was brought into Parliament as a response of the assassination of Joe Cox MP, it became even more relevant to me and more apparent to me, not just the abundance of these fixated individuals, but actually of the impact on those people who were being targeted by them. And the impact is so great, in fact, um, but much of it is psychological and therefore it has a real impact on your performance. Now, whether you're a professional athlete, whether you're a very high profile, successful business person or you're a celebrity or, or, or what have you, you know, it, it's something that impacts anybody in society, whether you're whether you're famous or not, whether you're rich or not. Um, but certainly if you are high profile there is a far greater likelihood that you're going to be targeted by someone who's fixated. And for me, who, who spent most of my life kind of campaigning and working to protect those that are more vulnerable than others, um, that's where that passion has come from. No, that's, that's, uh, that's great. I, I, I really appreciate where you're coming from with that. Um, what about the people out there? Obviously, now you've made it known that this is an issue, right? But what about the people who are completely uninitiated in this topic? They might be an EP professional, but they, they have no idea uh, about how far reaching this, this really is. What, what would you like the completely uninitiated uh, to know? Well, as I alluded to before, I think, you know, there's, there's quite a significant amount of academic research on this subject. And the, the truth is that, you know, the fixated individual pose a greater risk of uh, death and serious harm than terrorists and criminals. And so if you are a, a, an EP, that means that you are between them and the target, which means they have no issue whatsoever of harming you to get to that target. And if you look and if you research attacks on public figures, be they presidents, be they celebrities, be they anything, be it John Lennon to Reagan or anyone since then, they've all been attacked and targeted by fixated people. And all of those, or certainly uh, Reagan, for instance, had a, a full protection team around him. One person was killed. 
another was very seriously injured. So I personally believe that any protection professional should, as part of their training, as part of their, their personal development, understand the threat that is going to come from a fixated person because it poses the greater threat. And so therefore, you know, when you're focusing on all the kind of catastrophes that may happen, that's all well and good. And I'm sure it's very sexy. But the truth of the matter is you're more likely to come across a fixated person than anything else. So, you know, if you don't know anything about it, then I think you should take the time to understand it. Yeah, Philip, that's great. And picking up on Pelham's last question about the uninitiated. And really, I, I feel like every... So Pelham asks that question every week. And every time I hear it, I think the uninitiated, those are often people who aren't in the industry or not in this line of work. And in this case, I feel like the uninitiated is a large, broad or broader area than that. And it actually includes quite a lot of us who are in the industry and who have been in for a long time, but might not have had the uh, specific training like what you have had and have worked in that part of the industry. So this is a fantastic topic, probably for everyone listening today. And so to build on that, and, and I'm going to come at this from uh, the point of view of uh, your average executive protection agent who has gone through basic training and has then gone on with a normal career progression, which includes medical qualifications, you know, driving, maybe firearms and so on, but has never covered anything on fixated individuals. Now, where, where do we go from here? For everyone listening today, if they realize there's a gap in their knowledge, where can they go to start plugging that gap and what can they do? Well, the obvious answer is obviously they can come to us at Diffuse because we will provide them with all the information they need. We provide training in that matter. Uh, but there's lots of literature you can actually self-educate yourself around as well. And I think, you know, I've always felt that as a, as a professional in any industry, you're, you know, it's, it's your personal responsibility to, to kind of continually develop yourself. And I know that becomes quite a, a fashionable term now in terms of, you know, the CPD and all this sort of stuff. But but actually, I've been doing this for years because I've always have a quest for more knowledge around my, my particular area of, of expertise. And, you know, and thankfully, there is some really good literature out there. There are some, you know, there's not many courses around it, but there's some brilliant stuff, both in the US and, and certainly in the UK. Uh, we in Diffuse probably lead on that. But, it, but if I just take you one step further from this, and that is that, you know, if you as a professional uh, bodyguard or, 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 or in terms of the, the protection environment, yeah, yes, you, you need to know about it. One of the reasons you need to know about it, though, I would argue, is because let's imagine you get brought into a, to a wealthy family to protect the family or a celebrity or somebody else. One of your responsibilities, I would argue, is in some degree ensuring that the administrative team around you, so whoever you're protecting, their PA, their chief of staff, their secretary, that they understand what to look for in terms of these subjects as well. Because if they don't understand it, they're never going to tell you because they won't recognise it. And so you need to understand it so you can actually share that expertise and knowledge with other people because they are part of your outer circle of protection. Because if a, if a secretary or PA or whoever, whatever they call themselves is not aware that some of the correspondence that's coming in is actually evidence of a fixated person and their behaviour escalating. They won't be able to tell you. And that, what that actually means is they're putting your life in, in greater risk because you are just an obstacle in their way. And one of the issues around pro, uh, about fixated people is they desire proximity. And it's not proximity to you as the professional. It's to the, to the, to the actual target. Um, and, and as I say, there, you know, there's, there's example after example of where they've just taken out the, the protection professional because they don't see you as anything other than an obstacle. So it's so important that as a professional, for me, you learn your trade, yeah, all the, all the kind of um, the sort of sexier stuff, I suppose. But I believe the best professionals are the ones that, that they, they're not involved in the 
the physical attack and, and, and the kind of physical response, they actually use their brain to avoid the problem in the first place. Because if I am a very high profile person or a very wealthy person and I've, I've employed a protection team, what I don't want to see is my protection team getting into scuffles and everything else. What I want to actually see is nothing. I want them to kind of be guiding me around all these obstacles so that I'm not faced with that all the time. You can only do that if you engage your brain. It's not a physical, my, my view is bodyguarding and professional EP is a, is a it, it's as much intellectual as it is a physical thing. And the best professionals, I think, engage their brain. And so this is all about that. It's about understanding where the threats are and understand how you're going to, to point a phrase, diffuse them or mitigate them. So you need to understand it so that you can be you can be training others. You can be training newer people in the, in the business that are, uh, are going to be there working with you and they've got your back. So they need to understand it as well. But as I say, the secretaries, the PAs, even the individual themselves, so that if they recognize something, they can tell you if they don't recognize it, they can't tell you. So it's it's key it's a, for me. It's an absolute key fundamental of of EP training should be understanding the threat from fixated people and the and the behaviors that they 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 leak yeah yeah absolutely and there's a couple of things that you mentioned in there so one was that communication within the principles full ecosystem that inner circle and that's something that's come up a few times on the podcast particularly when we've spoke about the family office and often in that makeup of the principals, team, the home office, and so on, the security is often seen as the outsiders. We're, we're often contracted in separate agency. And, and this is where whenever there's a breakdown, eight, nine times out of 10, it's coming through communication simply that it's not being communicated up and down the channel. So that that's really important. And I, and I think that fits in really well to our kind of broader discussion that we have across the podcast. Uh, and, and then the other thing, which also ties into what you were saying about great literature out there, is you did write an article for the most recent Circuit Magazine. And in that article, one of the things that jumped out to me is you saying that research shows traditional physical protection measures are often not enough to prevent or to be a sufficient defense against a fixated individual. And so drilling down into some kind of practical tips and takeaways for the listeners, what can we do as executive protection in order to spot and then combat fixated individuals? And I know that's very broad and there's, there's probably a lot in there. So maybe let's just hone in on the identification, first of all. So I think there's a number of different things, and it and it, it does depend to some degree on on the um, the job you're on, shall we say? So let's take an example of you protecting um, someone in the music business who's going to be at concerts and, and you know and and moving from event to event to event. One of the Key things I think you can do whenever you're doing any events, and, and let's be clear, that's whether it's about the football or whether it's about a musician or, or even potentially a business speaker who's going to be moving to a different event. We know that one of the things that fixated people want is proximity. We also know they turn up at events. And if we look at some of the history, and you know, you, if, if, any, if anyone kind of does our training, we talk about it in great depth. You know, the assassination of uh, Robert Kennedy, um, his, his uh, assassin turned up about eight or nine times to the event and wrecked and hostile wrecked the event. And the problem is, is that very often your inner circle of the protection professional is sometimes dislocated from the outer cordon of the, the RSO or the, the security person that's employed on the outer rim of the, of the event. And... Again, they are your eyes and ears, because if if you are having a debrief at the end of the event before you go to your next event and the subject comes up about actually this bloke turned up again today and I've seen him at other events or this guy turned up and he just seemed a bit weird. You know, that shouldn't be dismissed 
Because if that same, that, that's intelligence, right? So that should be recorded. That should be made aware to you. You should, you should try and identify who he is, get an image, whatever else. Because if then they turn up at the next event, then again, that escalates that. And you suddenly think, okay, that's twice he's been now seen. And so you need to understand that actually, is, is that individual just turning up because they're like a super fan? Are they turning up because actually they want to pose a threat and they're testing your security? Because they do do that. You know, th this idea that they've got mental health issues, which many of them have. Please don't ever think that because they've got mental health issues, they are stupid or lack intelligence or any of that sort of stuff. Because the two don't work in correlation. They will turn up. They will test your security. They will ask your security questions, the outer cordon. It's amazing how much information people on the, the outer cordon give away to, to people, you know, about, about you, about your protection. Oh, God, has he got armed protection? Oh, no, they're not armed. They're just there. Or how many of them are there? Oh, we as a team of about 10 everywhere he goes. That's all information that we shouldn't be giving out. But they will ask those questions. And so, so it's important that those sort of debriefs happen so that, you know, between shifts even. Has somebody turned up today that we're not aware about that was unannounced? Actually, yes, a bloke turned up. He was driving this car. He did X, Y, and Z. Brilliant. You know, you know, I, I know, you know, John. We've both been in the military, and we've both probably stood on the barriers outside our barracks and and been bored shitless when we were doing that. The point is, we both had to do that. We both remember something turned up, or we used to call them dickers in in Northern Ireland, where you know somebody would repeatedly turn up. That was intelligence. So the same applies to whether you're on a, whether you're RSO, a, a lovely country estate, or you're at an event. If that people, if those people are turning up and they just seem to be looking, or even if they're asking weird questions, you know, engage with them, find out who they are, report back, because that potentially is the early stages of this happening. And so, I think there's a great deal. You know, it's not all sexy stuff. Sometimes it's just the real basic stuff. If you then move on to the kind of more complicated stuff potentially around when you're then looking at, okay, we're gonna we're gonna investigate that person and we're gonna look at the intelligence. You know, there are indicators, linguistic and behavioral indicators, which if you know what you're looking for, you will spot things. And therefore that gives you an indication that this person is beginning to escalate. This person's behavior is not, he's leaking behaviors that tell me he's becoming a threat. And of course that then it means you need to engage with law enforcement because they have the powers, if you like, to actually do things um, proactively in terms of, uh, you know, going and finding out who his person is, you know, engaging with mental health services. Because one of the common denominators and one of the reasons they started FTAC, which is the Fixated Threat Assessment Centre in, in the UK, was, you know, you'll get someone who has got serious mental health issues. They go and see their GP. The GP says, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm brilliant. Thanks very much. Unbeknown to the GP, he's actually writing 200 times a day to somebody. And so the GP doesn't know that. And so therefore he just thinks everything's fine or she thinks everything's fine. And so, you know, there's always evidence. There's always behavior or, or information that's being leaked. It's about observing that information, taking note of it, not dismissing somebody because they appear a bit weird or a bit silly or a bit, you know, or just a bit of a pain. Actually thinking, could this be a threat? And if it is, I need to make sure that the inner circle or the next shift are aware of it so that we can actually prevent something happening. After the 9-11 attacks and then everything that's led on from there, there's a kind of a, a heightened sense of awareness and alertness there. But at the same time, I think one of the things you've highlighted, especially to do with the, the kind of the mental well-being of these individuals, is that it's not necessarily going to be the same indicators. So when we've been on heightened alert towards terrorism and potential terrorists, we're looking for a different set of clues and, and indicators. It, would, would that be fair? Well, I think, I think what we can't do is put them all in one pot. Mm -hmm. you know, some will, some won't. I think you know, we shouldn't be saying, oh, he's agitated, therefore he can't be a fixated person, because they may well be. They may well be all sorts of different behaviours. And in actual fact, if you look at some of the lone wolf behaviours, they... Um, demonstrate many of the same behaviors in terms of the pre-attack indicator behaviors my, my view is that anything that your instinct tells you is odd should be reported either within the team so whether you have an intelligence officer on the team or you have a debrief officer whatever has anything odd happened today has anything out of the ordinary has anyone turned up that we weren't expecting 
as any and I, and I appreciate that you know some protection teams will get indications of who's turning up others won't depending how the the principal operates but but has anyone turned up today who we weren't expecting yes this person he turned up blah 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 brilliant thank you let's make a note of that and of course if that first person turns up again well why are they turned up twice you know is there some issue here or 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 does you know or there is there a legitimate reason for them being here um but there isn't necessarily kind of one profile of what everyone, you know, whether a lone wolf or, or a fixated person looks like. In fact, you know, many lone wolves are also fixated because one of the misconceptions around fixated people is that they are fixated on an individual when very often they're fixated on a cause or an ideology. So many people don't realise, for instance, that the, you know, that the individual that attacked Reagan actually was fixated on Jodie Foster, had nothing to do with Reagan. His attack on Reagan was to impress Jodie Foster. So there's no, you know, you wouldn't sort of think, well, you know, where's the, why is he attacking Reagan? Um, and very often, particularly, um, I, th I would say more so, in fact, you know, people target people because, because of uh, an ideology or a cause as opposed to an individual. And so very often that's the same with the kind of lone wolf terrorists because they are driven by an ideology, either by, um, you know, an Islamic extremist ideology or an extreme right wing ideology, so they will they will actually be fixated effectively and demonstrate some of the same behaviors. Well, what about what about proactivity? And and by that I'm I'm i basically reminded of a very interesting interview I saw uh, Chuck Tobin uh, do with a psychologist at the IPSB in Vegas maybe five years ago, and the psychologist said it would be great to be proactive, and if this individual says I'm going to marry your principal. The worst approach is, no, you're not, go away. And the best approach might be, oh, really? When are you going to get married? And, you know, is, is, is that a good approach? I'm, I'm just reminded of that. And I, and I wonder if that could be standardized. Yeah, I, I mean, I think, um, as I alluded to before, I think one of the things, I mean, if, I, if I kind of, one of the things I think we've, we lost in policing, for instance, is when I first started in the police, we all walked on the beat. So we learned to talk to people and we learned to talk to everyone, the, the, the old lady bringing her shopping home or whoever. And it's amazing how much information they share with you. Suddenly, nowadays, cops are in cars racing around and they don't interact with the public, really, unless there's a, you know, an incident. So we've lost the art of just talking to people. But actually, if you, one of the things we were always told when we were on a security cordon was talk to the people around your cordon, chat to them. Get to know who stood outside the barriers and who they are and why they're there. Um, and I would say the same with anyone in, 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 you know, in your industry in terms of an RSO or anyone else. You know, if someone's turning up and they look a bit weird, um, have a chat with them. Find out what, who they are, what they are. You know, if we look at the example recently with, with the individual that, that breached security and, and got into Princess, Andrew, uh, Princess Andrew's estate, you know, she flew in from Spain um, cunningly used the surname Windsor, which should have been a bit of a giveaway, and announced to the security that she was, who were a private security company, announced that she was his fiance and um, had come to see him. And not only did they pay her taxi, they then let her in, and actually it turned out she was armed. She had something in her handbag that was a weapon, and off she went wandering around the grounds. Well, there was an opportunity there to have a conversation with them and say, well, I didn't know you were you're engaged and uh, you, well, so your name's Windsor that's that's a bit of a coincidence isn't it that your name's Windsor and his name's Windsor and actually I think you probably have found that your instinct is telling you something's not right here and I think too often what we do is we either shut down our instinct or we become a bit dismissive as if it's not my job to talk to you my job is just to keep people out and I think we need to reframe if you like the role perhaps of what your actual job is. It isn't necessarily just to keep people out. It's actually to protect. And therefore, part of that protection is getting to know and understand who is turning up and who is there. And so I think that's why I, I argue that, that the industry should be less, should be seen less as a physical, you know, sort of macho environment and actually one where you use your brain. Because actually, if you can think your way around issues, then everyone's going to be safer. So, so I think, yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Pelham. I think, you know, people should be asking those questions. We're all thinking them. We just don't ask them because we just think, oh, it's, you know, I can't be bothered or, you know, they're not going to tell me. But even if they, sell, even if they become very dismissive, well, that, that gives you 
also gives you information and gives you intelligence. So, so I think absolutely engage with people, talk with people, find out what, why they're there, who they are, where have they come from, have they been before. There's there's so many things you can ask and inquire about and then report back. And on, on the other hand, then a lot of this doesn't it doesn't it sound like counter surveillance or covert counter surveillance? Um, I, I'd be interested in maybe your, your, your take on that, because there's tons of courses out there, people going on covert counter surveillance, um, especially these new Bitcoin billionaires. They don't want their security details seen yet. You know, they need a cordon. They need the, the watchers of the watchers, um, et cetera. Uh, uh, is there an overlap uh, here? Well, I, it, it would depend on what is meant by counter surveillance and what what skills are kind of taught in that one. I think there's lots of there's lots of grand titles out there. I'm not sure um, quite what they all necessarily achieve. I think what we have to get our head around is whether it's a terrorist, whether it's a criminal, whether it's a fixated person, they are going to conduct hostile reconnaissance on you. And yes, a good percentage of that can be done on the internet now. But if you are a proper professional, you are going to get boots on the ground and come and actually do hostile recon. Now, um, you know, there's, there are, you know, we used to have a counter surveillance team at Parliament. Um, and there's lots of other counter surveillance teams. But we had a counter surveillance team and yet we still got attacked. Um, so, you know, I don't, I don't think you can rely on, on that because it, it requires the counter surveillance team and the individual to coincide at some point. Or what if they don't? You know, what if, what if the timing's off or what have you? So I think everybody who's in that world, if I was going to be employing people to protect me, I'd want them all, be it the close protection and the the extended security, to understand about these issues. And I, and I would want them to be asking questions and, and doing those things. I, I don't want just kind of people just stood there um, looking mean and all that sort of stuff. I think, it, it you know, it, there's so much more to it than that. And I think that's where I think the industry needs to go in terms of, professionalizing itself and moving away from this this kind of concept of everyone being you know an ex-special forces soldier and all that sort of stuff because there's so many different component parts to it and you know they all feed together it's like a jigsaw puzzle and you can be the you can be the most elite former soldier and elite protection officer in the world but if if your outer cordon or your outer security lets you down it puts you at risk and so it, where it's in everyone's incentive to work together as a jigsaw puzzle and, and but take one piece out and it's incomplete. And so I, I really believe that that it comes down to sort of some basic human skills. Yeah, I think when you've got a big team, you've got a lot of assets and typically that's a good thing. But depending on how those assets are managed, it can be become an obstacle as well. And this ties back into the communication that we were talking about earlier. And as you said, as an individual, you need to be able to use your brain. And I've worked on big teams all the way down every size to being an individual. And I know when I'm an individual, I'm 100% thinking for myself. I'm being very proactive. The remit of Everything that falls, you know, on my shoulders and my responsibility is huge. You know, those arcs are fully extended. When I'm on a team, I'm a piece of the jigsaw. And depending on how that team is managed depends on how effective you are within that jigsaw. And and, and I think this, again, ties back into uh, training and having this kind of cohesive uh, understanding of the threat and particularly of the threat of fixated individuals. And it, it's easy to see where a, a, a large team with a, with a wealthy client can get the, the resources to get this kind of training and to get the people power to be able to, you know, identify fixated individuals. But what can smaller teams do? What can the individual do? He's already got so much... Yeah on their plate, how can we be a force multiplier? What other assets are available to us, you know, when we're traveling with our principles? Well, I think um, if, you, if you're traveling with your principal, I think a lot of it is getting to know and building those relationships with, with the people around you in terms of the other, you know, whether it's the hotel you're staying in, the hotel staff, whether it's that. 
I mean, I'll give you an example. I, I looked after a team, uh, sorry, a, a, an individual recently got called in, very, very high profile uh, individual who was um, building a new property and it caused all sorts of problems with his neighbours and what have you. And I, I sort of said to him, look, we need to have a strategy to get your neighbours back on board because they become part of your outer cordon, if you like. And if your neighbours are on board, then they will look after you. So let's use them. And so what we actually did was we invited him over for drinks. Now, he was a, a very famous um, athlete, so he had a trophy room and everything. I said, they would love to come and look at all that. And for an hour of your time or a couple of hours of your time, getting them on board will serve you well. And so that's what we did. We had a little drinks and canapé party to sort of like a housewoman, come and meet me and all that sort of stuff. Showed him around the trophy cabinet, had some pictures with all these various things. And we got them, them to operate as our outer cordon in that respect because they would look after you as a neighbour so to speak we've also done it with shops so we know that you know an individual lives in a village you know very um, very lovely village everyone knows he lives there we'll go and chat to the, go and chat to the shops just so that if anyone turns up here ask any questions can you just let us know because we're trying to keep the whole neighborhood safe and you'd be surprised how how protective people come actually of their local celebrity if you give them the opportunity um, if you if you keep them at arm's length, then quite often they'll become a little bit hostile towards you. If you engage with them, very often they'll look after you. And the same way about certainly in the UK or other places, you know, get the police involved. You know, if you've got in the UK, we've got local policing teams. Tell your local policing team, just so you know, this is what we're doing. Uh, if you're in the area, pop around for a cup of tea, whatever else, uh, and be our eyes and ears. They will tell you information if you engage with them. So I think I think we have to be a bit creative. We have to look at how, what other assets can we use around us? We don't have to share any secrets, but we can't, you know, people know who lives in their neighborhood. People know when there's a local celebrity or when there's a, you know, someone rich and famous living in the area. But rather than being a complete stranger, try and engage with them so that somehow they become your outer echelon. You can explain the sort of issues. You can talk about, oh, he's got kids. We're really worried about those. They humanise the whole situation and you'll be surprised how much people want to help you in any environment. How to win friends and influence people. Absolutely. It, yeah. it all comes down to good business. Too often, too often what happens is we try and become dislocated from everyone because we're all too important and it's all secret and all that. Well, listen, you know, I can tell you almost every murder I've worked on, almost every terrorist inquiry I've worked on has been sold by the public. And so it's never sold by us alone. But if you humanise people, if you engage people, it's amazing how quickly they'll start working with you and they'll be proud of the fact they've got this person living in their neighbourhood. They may never have anything to do with him or her, but they're proud of that fact. So, you know, engage with them, humanise them, and, and they will look after you and give you information. And I've got, I've, I've worked with someone recently who had a stalker and, um, you know, we did this around the local shops and the local shops would would not only not tell this individual any information, they would pass that to us. They'd say, well, by the way, that person's been in the shop again. And we actually created a load of evidence, which we were then presented to, to, you know, through the lawyers around this person's behaviour. But we wouldn't have got that had we not actually engaged with the community. Mm -hmm. and, and, a, and a lot of what you're saying really rings true to my Northern Ireland training and the yeah. days that I spent there because, yeah, we used to go into the Fibua villages and, and all of that yeah. and, and do all of the full-on training at that level. But more often than not, the thing that kept us safe on the ground and enabled us to leave at the end of that tour with the same people that we brought in was our the, the relationships that we built in the communities in which we worked and, and the way that we were able to harvest that information it absolutely rings true to that and i think i think also you know if you if you, if you had got a slightly larger team or you have got rso's and all that sort of stuff or you had got an outer cordon and, I, and i've managed jobs in the police where we've got big cordons and that people get bored very quickly and they're they're fed up they're bored they're it's, it's raiding they become disinterested the more you give them to make them feel part of the, the puzzle the more focused they are, the more engaged they are, the more switched on they are. So when you know when you ask them for a debrief on intelligence or what happened today, I'd be fascinated how many security teams just go off duty at a certain time and never actually have a proper discussion around or a debrief that you know that engages a debrief and a brief and all that sort of stuff. 
So their eight hours or 12 hours on duty has meant nothing, really, because they've stood there. Um, and they don't feel of any, you know, any value because no one's asking them anything. So they don't, and very often, if you don't ask, people won't tell you. If you do ask and you engage, people begin to start saying, actually, I saw something, the same car went past twice, never seen it here before, or, or what have you. So, you know, and, and sometimes it might be, you might get a bit of evidence or a bit of information around some a local criminality gang. You share that with the police, they become, you know, you become part of their trusted circle then. So, it, it, you know, it's kind of works both ways. But I think the more we're all engaged in what we're actually trying to achieve, the better. Well, that is a great sentiment. And I think one that will really resonate with our, with our listeners. I, 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 I'm very pleased how hands-on this uh, interview has gone because, um, you know, it is tempting to, 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 to look at macro topics um, and navel gaze. But I think, I think this has been great to really draw out some actionable tangible benefits of, of addressing this uh, topic uh, what, what's what's next for you philip um well we're, we're i mean we've got you know significantly busier over the last few weeks and the sort of as we're all merging out of our uh, our homes to face the reality of life again and and uh, we're very busy we're doing a lot of due diligence work and again it's you know it's a similar topic in some respects about when some of some of our clients are employing people or engaging with people very often the kind of due diligence they've done previously has been compliance based, you know, have you got a CV, do your references say what we, what you want them to say, all that sort of stuff. And what we're doing is an awful lot of work around risk-based due diligence. So, you know, what is it you don't know about this person? You know, because everyone's got something in the background. What are they not telling you? You know, do they have dangerous sports, for instance, are they going to disappear for six months because they've got a terrible injury? Are they, is there an addiction in the background? You know, are they golf partners with a Chinese individual that no one actually knows who he is, but he's turned up at the golf club? You know, is, are their children activists and therefore potentially a threat because they are they are campaigning against the very things that your principal's investing in? Are you aware of all this sort of stuff? What do you know about this person? How do these in these connections they have? Well, how do they have those connections? Where have they come from? And so we're doing a lot of that work around the intelligence piece behind it and looking at providing our clients with that information that they don't know um because you know information is everything and, it, and i know that people use the phrase about data being the new oil um my view is that the analysis of data is actually the new oil otherwise data is just data um so we're doing a lot of work in that space around around providing that information and intelligence to to people so that so that your guys and girls you know are made safer because that threat again is 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 reduced yeah, and I think uh, it highlights as well the benefits of if if you have the resources to do it, to bring in an outside agency, because I know a lot of times uh, on teams that are well-established, boundaries creep in and we don't push those boundaries because often those boundaries either are put there by the principal because they don't want you encroaching into their private lives they don't want you overhearing their business talk and, and having con cross-contamination and so on. And so while, yes, you are there to serve their best interests, you're often to a degree inhibited from doing that simply because you don't have access to all of the data. And then, as you say, not necessarily either the experience, the skill set, or the time to analyze it. And so I could really see the benefit of bringing in somebody like yourself, an outside agency with fresh eyes as well, and where, who, who aren't constrained by those boundaries, who have that freedom, would be a huge asset. I think the days when you just get someone to protect you, and particularly in the UK environment, well, let's be quite clear, no one's armed, at least you're not armed. So therefore, you have to use your intelligence, you have to use your skills and all that sort of stuff. Intelligence is becoming uh, uh, you know, something that the military and the police and the intelligence services and all those organizations and business have thrived on for, for, for as long as we've all been in existence. But increasingly, we're, be, we're being called in to do intelligence work on, on uh, private families and the wealthy and all that in terms of, you know, well, who is this investor? Where have they popped up from? Or you're going to invest in this organization. What do you know about them? Do they compromise your values? Or what's actually in your background? Is something in your background going to cause you a problem if it comes out? 
Um, and, and so intelligence and, and the, the and what we specialize really in is, is the kind of deep analysis of it. So we never just provide data, we provide analysis. And I think, you know, that's becoming more and more important. Uh, sad for me to say, but very often we've been called in now because the police investigation has been poor uh, or non-existent. And so, you know, we've just been called into a five million pound robbery because they're not happy with the investigation. And frankly, neither would I be if I was running that team. So they've called us in to, to kind of take over some of that investigation and, and put a bit of impetus behind it. Now, we'll share everything with the police, um, but they need action now. They can't wait a week or two weeks until the police get, you know, decide they want to get involved. So I think um, I think it's an expanding market. I think the personal protection or, or, or corporate protection world is going to expand. I think there's going to be greater threats, particularly, I think, from hostile former employees, uh, particularly when we get rid of um, the furlough scheme and all of a sudden we get lots of people made redundant. Within that echelon, there will be some that come after, you know, chief executives, et cetera, and very high-powered members of these global organisations. And there's, and I think we're going to see an increasing threat by activists. And I don't mean the uh, investment activists, that side of it. I mean proper activists who will be coming after your chief, your, your chief executive or your whoever it is because in some way they they held them responsible for the the demise of their eco policy or whatever else has gone on, um, and again that's about a cause, not about an individual. But they'll target an individual, and they're increasing. If you look at the animal rights methodology, which is what most activists now follow, if you look at how they operate, it's about targeting key people at their homes. It's not about taking them on at work or taking the business on. It's about targeting significant members of organizations at their homes where it matters where it really gets to them um, and even if they're not there target their families because that's how you get to people that's how you cause people to either resign from their position or start changing their decisions because it's impacting their personal lives um, so i think we'll see a bit more of that and i think that's going to require greater skill greater intelligence uh, and greater professionalism from all of us that are involved in, in in that world. Well, fantastic. I mean, if there's anybody who's left in any doubt out there and wants to find out more, Philip, about your services and what you're up to, where can they get that information? Well, they can find us at diffuseglobal.com. Um, so anyone can get through to us via the website or inquiries, enqs at diffuseglobal.com. And, uh, you know, we do, we do, we're going to do some more training coming up around some more webinars. And so we've done some, we've actually done a couple of training packages at close protection courses for some companies around all this subject matter so that we give them everything they need to know about how to, the threat that they're going to be faced and how to identify it. Um, and equally, if you want us to come and help you keep your principles safe, you know, that's what we do. We, we've, you know, all of our background, the people that work for US Secret Service, us, myself, and we also do the whole behavioral science thing so that you can understand what makes your adversary tick and how then do you, do you counter that? Um, so yeah, we'd be delighted to hear from anyone who thinks we can add value. Perfect. Well, you definitely have added a lot of value over these last few minutes. This interview, I think I've really enjoyed it. Um, thank you very much, uh, Philip, from uh, John and myself for being such a great guest on the circuit magazine podcast and we, we we look forward to welcome you again soon either on the magazine on one of the events or or perhaps another session sure sure yeah i think i'm going to prepare another article around um the pre-attack indicators for for uh to fix it. what actually do they look like that'd be perfect um well we're, we're very much looking forward to reading that and uh yes thank you very much my pleasure thank you thanks for Wow, quite a hard-hitting topic, but one we very much need to address. Fixated individuals, it's not always for the reasons you think that they're going to target your principal, but you've got to improve your skill set, whether that's some sort of covert surveillance skill set, behavioral analysis skill set, willingness to work with third parties, some sort of technological uh, solution. It, it's really big. And, uh, and of course, Philip Grindle, he's, he's written a fantastic article for the magazine and, of course, spoken at, at our events. Uh, Sean, w w what did you take away from today? 
I love hearing from Philip. The article he's wrote is fantastic. I've seen him speak before at one of your events, and I just love everything he has to say. You know, he's speaking from an extremely knowledgeable background, and I don't think there's anyone who's listened today who will not take anything away from this. Everyone's going to learn from it, and I think it's a very positive podcast, which everyone's going to enjoy very much. I absolutely love it. Well, um, in, in, in the wider community, um, I think uh, we, we're going to be talking about, you know, fixated individuals on the NABA Protector app and, and of course, BBA Connect app. Um, but, uh, you know, our, our, our own community, Elijah, he's running a course this week, a physical live in-person course. So um, for all, you know, for everyone that's joined that, excellent. I uh, hope you've had a great time. Um, another in-person experience on the 19th of August in the Grand Hyatt Phoenix. Uh, I am running our Convergence event. Uh, that's, that's, that's a nice but COVID secure uh, event in person. Some of the nice faces from the community that you know and love, Chris and Danita Grow, uh, Christian West, uh, and, 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 and many others, including Joe Waltera, coming all the way down to Phoenix. So nice to, to you know combine the community uh, there and um, one thing that we'll all have noticed is the ifsec influencers uh, list for this year came out some some great people on it new faces um people that we've had um Kekshan Dadwani from the getting security done crew uh, as, as well as some others but noteworthy a big Australian uh, and New Zealand representation, which is which is really good news, isn't it, Sean? Yeah, it is. I mean, speaking of Australia, uh, we recently had the pleasure to interview Joe Saunders from the Managing Violence podcast. Um, so that's one I'm really looking forward to. He's an expert in occupational viral, violence and verbal de-escalation. Um, and that was a great podcast, and that should be coming to your devices sometime soon. It will be. It will be. And and in fact, uh, a fellow Risk to Solution uh, colleague and uh, ISRM uh, Australian New Zealand colleague, Gav Snyder, is also on that list. So it's, it's one big happy family and very much looking forward to it. 20, 2032 is now the uh, Brisbane Olympics. Um, I, I wonder I wonder what we're going to be doing out in 2032. Um but uh, yeah, we can but plan. We can but plan. I've seen things on Clubhouse already discussing security for 2032. So uh, let's get out of this particular time and, and we, can, we can always bring it up at, uh, at our next Circuit Magazine event. Please do submit articles for the magazine. We're looking for the next contributors. You could be that contributor. We're very much looking forward to hearing your story. Um, and, uh, and yes, Check out our forthcoming events, and um, and of course, uh, you know, personal plug my my physical event in Phoenix on the nineteenth of August. Be there uh, if you can. Uh, but yes, from Sean and myself, fixated individuals, obviously a hard hitting topic, but a noteworthy and critical one. Please reach out to Philip Grindle and Diffuse if you want to know more, and I'm very sure he'd love to you know share his expertise. From Sean and myself, this has been another exciting edition of the Circuit Magazine podcast. You have been listening to the Circuit Magazine podcast. Be sure to subscribe and be sure to not miss an episode.